Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Spector. Uh, with me today is Rob Hirschfeld. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, Stephen. So uh, for those listeners who need the weather check in Austin, I hear it's incredibly <laughs> humid today. It's like a sauna, yeah, or a steam bath, really. It's, we, we, we're crossing Austin's between summer and fall, which means hot and humid. Right. And so for our regular yeah, listeners yeah. who know that I left Austin four years ago, Boise is lovely low 70s this morning it's not a weather check-in it's it's more like a weather revenge it's a weather revenge that is the appropriate term <laughs> so let me let me bring in our guest and maybe he can give us the weather report where he is dave blake blake blakey excuse me who's the ceo at what well, dave is it snapped or snap tea how, how does that go snapped yeah you got that right it is snapped well that is great so dave welcome and, uh, you know, before telling us about yourself real quick, uh, I'm not sure where you are. I want to guess South Africa based on your profile. Is that true? Yes, that is correct. Thank you for having me. And uh, it is your, well, you would have found out I wasn't in the U.S. very soon because it's 21 degrees Celsius here. <laughs> All right. And for our listeners, we don't do conversions on the fly. <laughs> you, are, you are on your own. So, so, Dave, go ahead and just give us a little overview of yourself, and then uh, we'll jump in to learn about your company and talk technology. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. So, uh, yeah, Dave Blakey is my name, and uh, Snapped is the company, as you correctly pronounced. I uh, am a South African entrepreneur, I guess, um, that's largely doing business in the U.S. and Europe. Uh, so, I spend a lot of time your guys' side, mostly West Coast, uh, so don't have to pick between the two of you. I spent a lot of time in the networking kind of space, uh, cloud virtualization and software-defined networking, et cetera. And that's what got me to where I am now with Snapped. Can you describe simple terms, what Snapped does? Sort of give us yeah. a... Absolutely. So Snapped is an application delivery controller, or also known as an ADC, which is really a buzzword for a load balancer, web accelerator, and web firewall. So anything, a business has got high priority, business critical, must stay online, kind of web presence, API, something like that. They want to make sure it's scalable, stays online, secure, works fast. That's what an ADC does. Right. And, and it's a software solution. This is, you're, you're displacing... You know, dedicated hardware boxes that people are used to thinking of performing these functions, or is there a hardware component? Uh, exactly. So we're we're pure software. Uh, so we run in primarily public cloud or or VMs as well as containers. Uh, but a lot of the time, you can still have hardware components for like very high performance. Uh, you know, we could run on bare metal and things like that. Uh, but more and more, we see like much more distributed deployments on just VMs or commodity hardware. Right. And so this is part of this broad industry disruption where we're going from edge, edge physical devices that perform fixed functions, perimeter defense, and simple load balancing just to get traffic where it needs to go. Snapped has a different approach. Can you, you know, and as a founder, I, I'm, I'm interested in sort of how you, you originally thought of it and what's transformed over time as you've, you've engaged with customers and found out what their needs were. Yeah, absolutely. I, the customer really has kind of led us. Um, you know, as a business, we've been quite fortunate that uh, we had uh, a lot of early traction. Uh, and to be honest, it can be a blessing and a curse, but we just kind of got led by this, this user that started using Snap. And that's really in, indicative of that different, like changing market that you were talking about. So the type of person that uses Snap is generally doing more modern types of deployment. So microservices, containers, uh, 
like pure VM stuff. Um, you know, so they're, it's a much different market than, than like your old expensive uh, hardware sitting at the front in a rack uh, kind of deployments. So the, the, the hallmark of those deployments to me is not just the sort of the, the, the size of the service or, or the, the packaging, but it's, a, it's dyn dynamicity in it, right? Because, right, the, when, you know, I agree with you. Microservices and containers are really interesting. But they're very dynamic, right? When you're in a CI/CD environment or you're bringing up a services infrastructure, it's not like it's this IP with this piece of metal behind it that's going to live on that server for, for years. It, it has a lifetime of, of, you know, days, maybe even seconds. How does that shape the software? How does that shape your whole approach? Exactly. Um, and it's something that we actually had to adapt to because when we started developing the product five or so years ago, um, it just wasn't that common. It wasn't that popular, right? So, you know, it's something that we've been working on. But to, to be clear, that new type of user is also doing old-fashioned stuff, you know. There's a lot of people out there that have a bunch of web servers and a couple of load balancers that are sending traffic to them and scaling them. And their attitude, though, or the person they are has changed a lot, right? So instead of being a network engineer that focuses on load balancing, they might be a web developer or they might be, you know, in charge of the entire platform uh, right. or, you know, like that DevOps type engineer. All the way at the top end of that scale, you've got the people that are really doing these like very fast scale, uh, high volume deployments that are auto scaling up and scaling down. Um, but for that kind of stuff, it's, to be honest, from our point of view, you know, when you're sitting in the stack and it's just software, you're just APIing into something to discover what nodes are available and which is something we've kind of always had to do, you know, as part of scaling things up. Which makes a lot of sense to me. It, it's, it, it still feels though, when I, I look at what you're doing, when I look at how the industry has been transforming here, this is very different than traditional passing traffic or blocking traffic, right? Load balancing and firewalls. Um, than we've seen in the past, right? There's there's observability. There's app, you know there's some performance components. How how deep do you go down into the application performance side of what are traditionally just network routing functions? Exactly, exactly. And traditionally, we're even uh, what we call DSR functions, so direct server return. So you know the servers would respond straight to the clients, and you never even profiled the performance of them. You were just managing where people wound up, uh, and that's that's again that changing users like needs a different type of solution. So oddly enough, we uh, we try to stay out of the way um, okay. when it comes to setting up and and uh, creating the initial deployment, and then put a lot of energy into like the metrics, the performance monitoring after that. You know, it used to be, well, how many complex custom routing rules can I create uh, at this, you know, at this level? Now it's like, well, I want to be told that my app server 17 is running 500 milliseconds slower on logins uh, than the rest. And they must tell me that on a Slack channel, you know, like that's where the value has become in because like the commodity servers, like if the server goes down, which you know, just market is down, there could be hundreds of servers. It's really about the quality of service, I think, and like the visibility of it that these people care about today. You're right. You're, you're describing a, tr a change from the, the buying pattern because now what you're, you're interacting with the developer because the server being slow is not likely to be the, you know, it could be that the, the disk drives are failing and they, 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 they have to rewrite data. But it could be that there's some configuration glitch on, on the new code that's causing that. Exactly. But this is, so how are you, and, and to me, that's, that's a DevOps philosophy where it's, there's you know, a continuous, there's a single team or a shared responsibility. 
how are you engaging with customers like that? Is, are, are they coming to you and saying, we're DevOps, we're, we're doing these, I know people hate it when you use the DevOps as a verb, we're DevOpsing um, <laughs> for you, everybody. And, and we, need, we need to understand our application or, or is it the, you know, how, is, is that shaping your, your, your interactions, your customer interactions? Yeah, it is. Um, so a lot of customers are coming to us, especially the bigger ones, right? Because they're looking for a solution that looks at things somewhat differently. Um, and then also the other side of it is that it's a true software play, right? So like right. you guys will know multi-cloud and all that stuff is so big and important to big enterprise now that they need like a pure software vendor neutral, uh, you know, so like Snap, you can run on any Linux device. So you can run it anywhere, right? So a lot of it is that. And then the other side is that... <laughs> A bunch of those people envision that and see the value in that type of thing. But it doesn't mean that they've got this massive Kubernetes deployment and they're, you know, have this giant enterprise infrastructure. Some of our clients that have got, you know, very high profile, important API services, things like that could have five servers, but they really need to monitor very specifically the performance on those, you know, like we try to be as proactive as possible. So there's, there's a couple of things you highlighted and then I'm going to, I'm going to follow the rabbit rabbit hole down Kubernetes after that. <laughs> so what is this experience of people in multi-cloud environments wanting common tools and platforms across those, those clouds, right? So uh, using Amazon's built-in services, and I'm assuming they're stay in the Amazon uh, panoply of services, there's probably people could put together pieces of what you do. Uh, but that wouldn't that that would be a specific skill set, very um, tied into Amazon. You're going to be able to provide services on Amazon, but once you've learned the tool, it could be applied on premises in Amazon, in Azure, or sorry, Google, Azure, wherever you need. Is that a fair is that, exactly. is that a fair customer driver for that? That's exactly right. And a lot of the time, it's because they have on-premise stuff as well. So it's not just uh, multi-cloud, but you know they they might have uh, on-premise like private cloud or just VMs or whatever it might be. Then they might be using some public cloud. They could be using government cloud. Uh, you know, but the idea that they are not or don't want to be tied to a specific vendor makes a lot of sense. And then the same thing is true where they don't want to have to replatform to take advantage of these capabilities. So you're describing somebody with a traditional app that just wants a smarter load balancer, an integrated firewall. Exactly. I mean, you look at the way people are deploying stuff now, it must just be automated, right? Like, especially with containers, it doesn't matter the hardware, it doesn't matter the 10, it doesn't matter the operating system, you know, it's all just scripted that things are being deployed. It shouldn't have a dependency on like a certain service like ELB or, you know, whatever it might be from someone else. And that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think that in our, in our enthusiasm to get into a cloud provider, we typically look into replatforming. Um, and I, it's just not always the right investment. If, it sounds like you're providing a bridge. No. Exactly. Uh, it, that's exactly right. And then the second thing is, and it's not just a snap solution, obviously, there's many vendors in the market that uh, clouds, especially public clouds are providing uh, like a commodity set of features, right? So a lot of people will have custom requirements or something that they want to do that's outside of that box. And a lot of the time, that's why I say, well, we find, I often tell people 20% of what we do is, is scalability and load balancing and that, and 80% of what we do is visibility. Um, 
it's really about the the monitoring and and like the you know traffic inspection and the quality of service and all that kind of stuff. So we we did a podcast seems like ages ago now with Honeycomb, which is an observability platform. Is that visibility part of the observability trend? Is that how do you? Um, well, it, it ties into what we're doing at, at a core. So, you know, the kind of the philosophy behind all ADC is that someone, a client has got a service that is business critical to them. They, they, it needs to stay online and it needs to scale well. And if you're not monitoring the performance of the service, like, you know, in the old days, you used to say, well, port 80 TCP is open or it's closed. <laughs> now, nowadays, right. I mean, Everyone can tell if a port's closed, right? Is your instance down on Amazon? I mean, it's really about saying, you know, where can we send users that's the fastest response time uh, that, you know, is getting requests for this type of content that's performing well. And if you're not monitoring that stuff, you can't effectively help people scale. And, you know, then you really can't be proactive. So like for us, the absolute worst case situation is to tell someone that an error went back to a user or that a server is down. I mean, it's much better to detect like some sort of anomaly beforehand. Uh, that a server's behaving badly or, you know, things like that. Let's dive in for the Kubernetes side, because I, I know our listeners are thinking, Istio, doesn't Istio do this? You know, yeah. and hell with you, I, I don't care about your, your, your legacy apps. We have already replatformed. How do, you, how do you interact with somebody who's got services, you know, sort of, coming up that are available in highly microservices replatformed capabilities with a service Istio as a service mesh. We're going to get more, more listens from this just by saying Istio a couple of times. So Istio, Istio, <laughs> Istio. No, Istio is legitimately an important thing. I'm interested in your take on it. We see a lot of different requirements from users, from the DevOps crew, from uh, application owners and things like that in these apps that are deployed into, into things like Kubernetes and OpenShift and so on, right? Like at the end of the day, a lot of the use cases are still the same. Like it may scale better. It may be, you know, this, this new infrastructure and that, but people still want to see, you know, where there 500 errors going back to my users. Um, right. And unless you have like something that's actually taking responsibility for the responses for your HTTP or HTTPS traffic, then there's still just this giant gap, you know, uh, because it's very easy to have a deployment go out and half your instances and half your, you know, uh, containers or whatever it might be are spitting out errors and no one picks it up. Um, <laughs> right. You know, there's there's still that huge amount of value add. Uh, and then for us also, it's, it's quite easy. I mean, you know, in the early days, the very first thing we did like this was uh, an API to Amazon. And the reason was because you can auto scale instances in Amazon. So when more instances spin up, we need to send traffic to more. And when they shut down, we need to send traffic to less. And it's the exact same kind of process, you know, as, uh, as more nodes become available, we send traffic to them. And as they shut down, we, you know, we take traffic off of them. Uh, but the difference really is in not, not in the setup, it's in the day-to-day -day after that, you know, the, the profiling and the logging and the visibility and the reporting. Uh, and then, of course, there's the whole security side, the acceleration side. And this is worth, worth explaining to me because this is classic from an open source perspective, and, and we, we love to talk about open source in, in sort of a, a, a very eyes wide open perspective, right? Because open source isn't building the type of analytics and data and integrations that, that you are maintaining as part of Snapped it's really going to give you much more foundational services. And I guess Istio, from my perspective, is more of an API 
interface system, and you could just plug into it the same way you're plugging into, uh, you know, Amazon. Component. Exactly, and we're constantly looking at new things to plug into, right? I mean, because it's like quite a, as I'm sure you know, a fast-changing landscape. Um, yeah. But really, yeah, it's about adding value on top of that. So it's like, just like, uh, you know, your basic load balancer might operate at, TC, at, at layer four and we're operating at layer seven. It's, it's really just about taking that extra step, looking deeper into it and, and kind of addressing the people that have like these more severe requirements for performance, quality of service, stuff like that. And also making it like a seamless process. You remember at the beginning, I said, you know, stay out of the way. Uh, but that's really core to us is that this type of stuff, the, the ADC functions of, of old, it should just work. It should just be a part of the product. You know, it's just, you just turn it on. You want the, of course you want the website accelerated. You know, that's that smoothness, that like kind of ease of use, the support that we provide around it, things like that. That's where a lot of the value comes as opposed to just, you know, well, I could just tool this together with open source stuff. So the other thing is obviously the performance on those types of instances. In the old days, a lot of this type of solution required like a huge impact on the business. Lots of calls, lots of processing, usually 10 in the old days. Um, whereas Snapped is focused on kind of providing a high performance solution that's lightweight. So like our performance recommendations are two cores and four gig of memory to give you an idea. Um, so it's about fitting into that type of environment, you know, not being like a 32 core beast. Um, but just being appropriate for the use case. It starts me down sort of the edge distributed application side, which is an, a whole other angle for this um, that I, I think is worth exploring um, on, on two fronts. Um, and uh, I'm super interested in your, your, your experiences and, and where the market's going. We're, we're talking about applications that have globally distributed scale, which means that, that you have to create a way to get the right traffic to the right people with latency or performance, right? Other, some certain characteristics. How does, how do you, you work that into, you know, the, the, the networking stack, the application stack coordinate, you know, coordinate in a globally de deli delivered application stack. Yeah, well, so your first point about moving close to the edge is, is actually exactly the reason for our kind of light footprint and that is that ability to run, you know, 100 load balances instead of one. But it, it, that's, that's kind of how we look at it is, okay, if, you, if you're a massive global enterprise, and I should mention, you know, that 80% of the ABC market doesn't fit into that category. But the first thing you need is a solution like uh, a GSLB, right? So sending the right traffic to the right places, the right countries, the right data centers. And once it's in the data center, handling the traffic once it's arrived, dispatching it and so on. Uh, and it can be very phased, you know, like your use the loads across territories, changes over time. And so that's why you need these like agile uh, kind of intelligent solutions, right? We often say it's, it's easy to use, but not because it's simple, instead because it's clever. But that's really what people need. Uh, you know, your traffic in, in Asia could be three times as much at a certain time of day than it is at another time of day. And, you, you know, you need something that's looking at your application delivery as a platform, right? So uh, across your entire organization, how do you deliver this application to your users wherever they may be in the fastest time? Well, and that's, that's where I, I started thinking about not just the front gate of your application and saying, oh, I want my Asian users to be serviced out of Asian data centers to get better latency, but then there's going to be back-end requests within the application that you might need to say, well, they can't, you don't want to always back call that to US East. It's going to make the application performance just as bad. 
how deeply inside of these you know, microservices applications do you go? Yeah, often quite deep. Uh, and the reason is because, I guess because of our structure, the way that we've you know, built in the model of the product and, and that lightweight kind of side, as I was saying, people will often use it for use cases where previously you couldn't really deploy uh, an ADC, right? So like you said, you might have stuff behind there that needs, uh, you know, uh, scaling and and redundancy reliability stuff like that inside the data center but then what we often find i mean we have a large number of clients that have more than 100 load balances which is just bizarre i mean five years ago that didn't exist it's just like it's almost quite weird right but the reason is because no longer do you have i guess like let me talk about adc in general right the, okay. you used to have a load balancer at the front of the network that your network engineer used to run and if your department needed some you would like be back build a piece of that and you know you'd have to ask for changes to be made on the load balance and now people will just deploy their own so you could have like you mentioned in your asian office you could have one department like finance in the asian office that has a use case for something that only needs two servers but they have to be highly available you know so what we try and offer is a kind of platform or product that can be used by all of the various technical resources in the business and can be used at small scale like that. You know, we could have a client that has a hundred load balancers, but the average load balancer might be doing 10 or 20 requests a second. It's like very idle almost. Um, but it wow. enables. Yeah. So, so deploying a device for that wouldn't make any sense at all. This is, this is where, when we're talking about these much smaller application infrastructures that you can put a, a web server, in that environment doing its work or right you know all, basically all of your networking functions could be in the environment you could take advantage of whatever you needed um, exactly and it's, it's just like a couple of containers or you know it's that microservice type of architecture but it's not because you have massive scale it might be because you have something that's business critical but it doesn't you know it's not high high uh, traffic Right. No, that, that makes a ton of sense to me. It's, it's a way that I think people don't think through how important the ADC components are, the fact that they're software and can be decomposed into very small units. That means that you could actually protect an application, you know, even if it was in a very, very remote, very resource constrained environment, and you don't have to put a physical box there to prov provide that function. Exactly. And the second component of that is that, you know, so I use this word lightweight and, and sometimes I don't like it because, you know, it's not like the lightweight uh, fighter is going to lose the fight, you know, but it's, it's about the impact on your resources, like you've accurately said, but also the impact on your, like the business side of the business, you know, you can have that set up and because SAPT is so easy to use and deploy in that, you don't need network engineer from the US to manage that tiny little microservice on, you know, uh, in, in somewhere else in the world. It's like the local team there can use the product. It's like, it's easy enough to deploy and use and just get, that's why I say it, it should stay out of the way. You know? It should just be a facility that's, that's turned on and it starts to add value to that process of yours. And so then, then that becomes part of your just regular deployment. You're, when, when you go to deploy an application, you can then send the application, you know, the, the, the ADC with the application. It becomes an integrated unit. Does that help you with versioning, right? Do you become almost create an immutable uh, deployment that includes the ADC with the feature set that you have available? Is that, is that useful? Uh, we have some large clients that do that. Uh, and that's generally because they have automated those types of deployments as well. 
so they you, you know might wipe like an entire project or like component of a data center and then redeploy it um, and because it's software only and can all be scripted that you know they can do that and then they pre-bundle stuff but our space is quite fast moving so you know we have generally several updates a week to the product so uh, it's usually just you know um, like the latest version and then that will you know just self-update wow that's that's in some ways pretty scary because you're talking about something that's in the you know absolutely central to the traffic that's moving through the whole application so uh, you don't you don't you can't drop packets during one of those changes exactly exactly but that's that's uh, that's what we do right <laughs> is uh, make sure things stay online no but it, so deployments will typically be redundant obviously uh, and they can they self-manage so they will self-update uh, switch traffic over to the other one once it's fine switch it back you know then update the other device etc uh, that's a big deal. That's really hard to do. Would, would... Well, and and the, the requirement for that is not, it's not because of the big businesses we work with. It's almost because of the smaller ones. Uh, we really believe in, in that like uh, easy to use, just automatically add value kind of, you know, anyone can do it. Like we've got a lot of clients that had to Google how to install their web server <laughs> and then okay. uh, stumbled across snapped and, and you know, we're kind of enabling them to use this type of ADC technology. So it's not all like big enterprise. And this is an, you know, almost an aside, but I, I agree with you on lightweight should be a very positive thing. What you're describing. And I, I think as a value is it's also less complex, right? If, if you're eliminating exactly. complexity, exactly. Which, which sounds like you're taking something away from people, but I, my experience has been the opposite, right? If you can eliminate complexity, you've, you've created operational opportunities for them. Um, exactly. And that's the nice thing about this DevOps type of user is that they very much understand that, you know? But yes, I agree with you. That's why I was saying I, don't, I almost don't like to use the word lightweight. Uh, and that's why we say, you know, in our, our salesy type of stuff that it's, it's easy to use, not because it's simple, but because it's clever. But that's really what we've tried to build. We compete versus other vendors, like on feature by feature. We have feature parity or often uh, additional features. But it's, you know, in 99% of you, well, in 100% of use cases, you don't need 100% of the features. It's about right. just making sure that you stay out of the way, deliver the best performance and, and like help them to, to have their app like perform as they want it. So what does that look like from a design, right? Sort of standing away from the technical, that's a, a corporate culture architectural fit. How does that get manifest within your, within your team? Within our team? <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, we have firstly quite a young team, I guess. So it's quite, you, you know, when you, when you have a software company that does uh, high availability for our client list and you release multiple times a week to production, <laughs> it's, right. uh, it requires a very different type of person, right? So our team basically are the initial users of Snapped, I guess. You know, we actually built Snapped because we were looking for a product like Snapped is the truth of it. And I guess that's like very much been our philosophy up until now. We have a very heavily weighted tech team. So most of our staff are, are technical. You, you know, I guess we've just kind of focused 100% on the product and let the, the rest kind of dictate. And we've been lucky enough to have a lot of kind of clients that are doing this kind of leading edge, next gen sort of deployments. Uh, and we listen to them a lot. And so I guess it's just a combination of that, having a lot of techies and uh, listening to clients that are ultimately in the field doing this stuff, I guess, is, is how we 
have really built and run the team. It, it makes sense to me. I mean, it, I know from our, our struggles, you, it's easy to get pulled down the add widget, add a widget, add a, add a widget trap. It's very hard to sit down and say, no more widgets, you know, keep it simple. Yeah, the old uh, feature that. creep. <laughs> I, and, and, well, and I would actually say complexity creep is, is a big... Yeah, that's actually a great term. Exactly, exactly. Because what you have at the end is like our, our golden rule is that it should always take a maximum of five minutes to deploy and set up snap. Um, that's a good starting point. That's great. And like, yeah, that's kind of a good start. Exactly. Because sometimes it's difficult because sometimes there's something really great or some good feature or something, you know, that you want to expose people to, but you find a way instead to say, okay, well, let's make that a part of step two or, or hide that away for advanced use cases or something, you know, but in principle, you should be able to get it up and running in five minutes. Like that's, that's our, our code is stay out of the way. What you're doing is incredibly complex, right? You, you, have to, you have to be in the middle of network traffic. You have to understand and profile the applications, right? You have to be able to detect latency or performance issues on the server so you can, you can transfer traffic. How do you learn? You know, the app, at that point, the platform, does the platform learn that or do you rely on, you know, because now you're, you're, you've broken the silos. You've got a DevOps engineer who might not actually understand that much about ISO layers at all, and when you say layer seven, they're thinking about a wedding cake. Hopefully not, but but how you know how do how do you reduce how do you flatten the learning curve here? So the the key for us, uh, the the true the truth is that the key for us is that everything has gone HTTP, right? So we, when we've got people that are doing you know APIs, backends, e-commerce, whatever it is, it's all web traffic now. Fortunately for us, it's a lot easier to be very intelligent with HTTP. And it's something that that DevOps type user understands. They understand their page load times and responses and, you know, uh, getting HTTP errors from servers and stuff like that. So uh, I guess it's just kind of the beauty of where the market is at right now is that 80, 90% of what we do is, is web traffic. Um, so the user often has a reasonably good understanding of that. Uh, and then we've just built and focused on adding a lot of intelligence to that. And it's quite predictable web traffic, you know, so you know what to look for, what not to look for, what to worry about. Um, and as soon as, especially a high traffic site, once you, you know, within a couple of seconds, you can see what the kind of performance of the servers looks like uh, and start to pick up if there's something wrong. Right. And when you're we're saying also, we're web traffic. Comparing. Uh, you know, one versus another versus another. Like, so to tell whether something's wrong is quite easy when you've got 20 versions of it. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Because uh, then you can figure out what, where, the, where the piece went and, and exactly. how that went. So, and, and when you're saying web traffic, you're, you're talking very generally about REST, REST traffic. Um, well, and so yeah. everything from, from your okay. st standard websites to e-commerce sites, uh, you know, we do a lot of that because of the web acceleration, obviously. So, uh, you know, web acceleration is becoming quite a, a hot kind of field. Um, and uh, then all the way up to, to API backends, like REST backends and things like that. Yeah. Um, where obviously then performance monitoring and, and availability and error control and stuff is most important. When, when I think about what, what you're saying, right, traffic is, a lot of different things. Um, we're looking from, you know, edge, multi-site, internal. A lot of times for edge, we get very, very wrapped up in latency and how fast a system can respond. You're in, you're in the middle of that. What lessons have you learned about, you know, sort of understanding that the, the time it takes for systems to communicate? 
uh, in building in building the ADC. Yeah, well, uh, the, the first thing for us is that our clients are always delivering a service to users, right? So we have to worry about user experience a lot, which is where a lot of that comes in. Um, it's not, you know, the, the, the problem of a server taking twice as long to reply is actually a client problem. Uh, it, that's where the effect is felt at least. So from a load balancing point of view, we have to monitor, you know, who can we send the traffic to? How quickly can the servers respond? But then on the front side, we have to get that content to the user very quickly. Uh, and that's really about uh, web acceleration. So especially with e-commerce, media, retail, things like that, a lot of people understand the concept of, you know, your website takes 10 seconds, it's not good, it should take three seconds. But uh, people don't understand the, the massive drop off you have in attention from, you know, two and a half seconds to two seconds or two seconds to 1.75. Like people estimate that for every second your page takes to load, you could lose a quarter of your users. And if it takes three seconds to load, you'll lose more than half your users. You know, if you, if someone comes to you with a problem and says, look, I need to increase my, my sales on my e-commerce platform by 25%, you have to do a, a hell of a lot of marketing or you just shave a second off your website's load time. It's a, like a really interesting space. Actually, the effect of making sure that things run quickly and get to users fast uh, is actually like a business use case for us. How does your technology help improve? I mean, that feels like buy faster servers, scale out your application. How do you, you know, are you providing data to make, help them make that decision? Or is it something inherent in actually being better at doing the, the load balancing or the routing or the- oh, So it's, it's a combination of both, but the biggest kick is the manipulation of that web content, right? So on the back end, we're making sure that we monitor the servers very well, make sure you know if they're performing slowly, send the traffic to the fastest server. But then once we have the response, right? How can we reduce two things? One is the size of that page because the user has to download it. So everybody nowadays has you know big internet links, but not everybody. But so that's less of a concern. And then the number of objects, right? Businesses now, like you were saying, how do you send stuff to your FOSS data center? I'm in South Africa. My return trip time to the West Coast is 350 milliseconds. So if I have to request your web page, then it comes back, then it tells me get these 10 images, then it comes back, then it tells me get these style sheets, comes back, get these JavaScript. You know, it could be five, six seconds if your servers are responding with the zero milliseconds of latency, which is obviously not reasonable. Um, so we manipulate the page, uh, try to combine style sheets into one file, flatten it, things like that, um, to get the page the user faster. So it's not only about making sure your servers are applying as fast as possible, it's also about making sure that from your data center to the user is as quick as possible, right? So Dave, this is the point where I come in and uh, have to stop the podcast. I don't know if our listeners like this point or if our listeners are uh, annoyed that it come in because they have questions. And hopefully they do have questions. So the easiest thing is if they do have questions, where should they go to learn more information about your company, reach out to you? How do we get them in touch with you? Absolutely. So uh, snapped, S-N-A-P-T dot net. Uh, that's our website. And uh, yeah, you can reach out uh, to us at hello at snap.net anytime. Uh, we got our phone number up there. Always happy to chat. Um, but yeah, all of our information and that's on the website, S-N-A-P-T dot net snapped. Well, Dave, thanks again. And, and Rob, I appreciate you asking all the deep questions. This was great. Uh, we, are, we continue to get more uh, foreign guests. I know we've done Cambodia. And now we've done South Africa. I know we've had England. So if you're listening and uh, you're from maybe Antarctica, I don't know, that would be a get. I get to find someone there to call in. We're happy to uh, schedule and you know expand our global presence. Thanks to both of you again. Great podcast. I look forward to, uh, to future podcasts and, 
and Dave bringing you on in a couple months to talk some more and, uh, you know, stay in touch with us so we can keep sharing your knowledge as, as you guys find new avenues to help customers. Thank you. Great. Thank you guys. Thanks for the time.